Today is part two in our short series on faith that saves. Faith that saves. People have faith in many things. They had faith, faith in the stock market. They had faith in ETFs. They put their faith in a pilot that flies their plane. They put their faith in a chef that's busy making their meal in the back. They don't know that chef. They're going to eat the food he makes. They put a lot of faith in that things are going to work out right for them. They put faith in humans instead of in God. They put faith in a government. They put faith in a dollar. Everybody knows how to exercise faith. But all faith isn't saving faith. Just because God healed somebody after they asked Him to heal them, or they recover from a disease because they prayed and asked God to help them and, and heal them, just because they recovered, that doesn't mean they saved eternally. We have to discover what it means to have saving faith because on saving faith hangs all of Christianity. It is impossible to please God without faith. Let me ask you, those people who have faith in pilots, they have faith. Why can't they please God? Because they don't have God-pleasing faith. They don't have saving faith. The guy that goes to, the, to, to get put under by the surgeon and the surgeon's going to put him under general anesthesia, he, he has faith in that, in that surgeon, right? He doesn't know what that surgeon's going to take out and put in. I mean, he's just laying over there knocked out, trusting and believing and having faith in the process. He has faith. Why doesn't he please God? Because it's not God-pleasing faith. It's not saving faith. So we have to know what saving faith means. Somebody prays and says, God, please, I, I ask you to help me get through this month. I'm short with $1,000. And somehow, out of nowhere, there's $1,000 in their back pocket. And they go like, I must be saved. God answered my prayer. <laughs> that is not saving faith. To have saving faith. It's important to know because all of Christianity hangs on it. Your eternity hangs on it. There's nothing more important for you to understand than this concept right here. So my questions that I want to answer today is what happens that causes a non-believer to transform into a believer? What causes a non-believer to become a believer? You have two best friends. They grow up together in the same generation, same community, friends of the family, in the same classroom, in the same school. One becomes a believing heart and the other one does not believe. What happened? Why does one brother become a believer and the other brother become an atheist? What happened? That's the first question we're going to answer. How does this transformation of the unbeliever to becoming a believer take place? Secondly, I would like to clearly outline what it means when somebody says they believe in Jesus Christ. Many proclaim themselves to be Christians. When you ask them, who do you believe in? Well, Jesus. I'm a Christian, man. I'm a Christian. That's what we do, right? We believe in Jesus, and uh, the Bible says he's Jesus Christ. That's who we believe in, so I have to be Christian. But my question is, that even though many profess that they are Christians, what does it mean if somebody claims they believe in Christ and, or have faith in Christ? What is that? made up out of? Can we define in verbal, in terms, the believing heart that believes in Jesus Christ? In order to do that, we have to drill down into the Word in order to discover what God says about this believing heart. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
This person is a new creation. A new one. He was created and formed and birthed. But the moment he is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The Bible says old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. I want to bring to you today that the greatest miracle in the universe today is the new creation. The greatest miracle that could ever take place is not somebody's deaf ears that open or somebody's blind eyes that see. It is the dead heart that starts beating again. It's the unbelieving heart that now has faith. It's the heart filled with hate now suddenly loves. That brand new heart that's being newly created and designed and miraculously performed inside of a dead person, this new heart is the greatest miracle of all. And our question is, what turns an old creature into a new creature? What brings a person out of death into life, out of darkness into light? A new heart. A brand new heart. The very core of who you are. The brand new you. God didn't call me to teach you how to become a better you, but how God will turn a dead heart into a living heart, a dead person into a believing person. Ezekiel 26, 26 and 27 says that. Here is God's promise to those who are going to receive His brand new covenant. Are you ready? Here comes His new covenant. I, God says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. A new what? Who gives it? To who? So God is the giver. You are the receiver. And the gift is what? A brand new heart. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will do the surgery. I do it. You're under general anesthesia. As a matter of fact, you're not under. You're just dead. He says, I will take out the stone of your heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give it to you. And I will put my spirit within you. And this is huge. And cause you to walk in my statues. I, God, will cause you to walk in my statues. And be careful to obey my rules. I, God, will cause you to walk in my statues. And I, God, will cause you to obey my laws. Ezekiel 26, 26 and 27. I wanted to just grab a few truths from here as we lay a foundation in the answers to our very important questions today. Number one, when God creates in you a new heart, you are born again, not because you gave Jesus your heart, but because God gave you a new heart. You are not saved eternally because you gave your heart to Jesus. You are saved eternally because God gave you the gift of a new heart. Number two, when you are born again, you aren't forced to obey God now. Forced against your will. Okay, I'll do it. No. You now obey God's laws because your new heart wants to. And I will cause you, it says, to walk in my statutes. And I will cause you to obey my laws. This new heart that I give you will desire it. 
This is how God causes you to follow the shepherd. Obedience to God does not earn you a new heart, of course, but a new heart desires to obey God. That is what he promised you and me in Psalm 37 verse 4. It says that you will receive from God the desires of your heart. He will give it to you. Number three, this new heart is a gift from God. It's not earned. It's not worked for. He said, and I will give you a new heart and remove the heart of flesh from you, and I will give you a heart of flesh. To possess a heart that desires God and desires to obey God is a gift from God. If you have a heart that wants to obey God, that ought to humble you, not puff you up. That ought to make you go, God, I desire to obey you. I desire to walk in your ways. God, thank you for that desire because I remember when I didn't have that desire. I remember when I hated the idea of having to give up my will to follow yours. I hated the idea of having to obey you. I hated the idea that you were even there. But now I have this heart that actually loves the idea of living for you and obeying you and walking in your ways. It takes God to want God. And if you have that heart in you, it's time to thank Him for it. Number four, you wouldn't walk in God's statutes, obey Him, if you hated Him, if you mistrusted Him, and if you couldn't believe Him. If you hated God, if you mistrust God, if you can't believe Him, why would you walk in His statutes? No, you'll walk in His statutes because you love Him, you don't hate Him. You trust Him, you don't mistrust Him. You believe Him, you don't disbelieve Him. It's because you love and because you trust and because you believe that you now walk in His statutes. I'm saying that to say this. In studying the miracle of this new creature or this new creation that is the greatest miracle of all, or this new birth, we have now a greater clarity and understanding as to why some people end up loving God, why some people end up trusting God, why some end up obeying God, why some end up having a heartfelt faith towards God, while others at the same time cannot grasp why in the world you can be so brainwashed with, with what you call your faith and use it as a crutch. Can't you see? This is your crutch. While one person is believing and trusting and loving and obeying and following and submitting, another one's like, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? You used to have a mind of your own. <laughs> Look at you. They simply cannot grasp why believers can be so brainwashed. <coughs> to serve God as bigoted as the God of the Bible, a God who believes only He is right and all other faiths are wrong. I mean, how can you guys do this? How could you be so narrow-minded, so bigoted in what you believe? What's wrong with you? You used to be normal. <laughs> what happened? Is that church you're going to? 
Man, and then you give them money. What's wrong with you? Look at his suit. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you see, the unbelieving world struggle to wrap their minds around this new creature. The unbelieving world struggles to understand that new heart that you now have. They don't get it. Their mind cannot comprehend. They cannot live in peace with that. So what I thought of doing is just Googling what famous people have said about Christianity. So I'll just read a few. Frank Zappa. Do you, not, you guys remember him? Frank Zappa? <laughs> okay. A rock musician in 1990. That's a long time ago. At a pro-abortion rally in Los Angeles, he says this, and I quote, when you see the Christian fish symbol on the bumper sticker in the back of a car in front of you, know that that is the enemy. There goes Frank. Last week, actually, some of you may have seen it, but I posted a video on Facebook inviting people to come to our church. You know, I'm considering the fact that many people are struggling with loneliness, depression. They need spiritual support at this time. They feel disconnected. And uh, I thought, well, let me make a video and just say, hey, if you're looking for a church, you know, we're open. We've got a wonderful group of people, very warm-hearted people. And if you would like to uh, join us in person, you're welcome to come. We have two services. The 9 a.m. is mask mandatory, so you'll feel safe. And the 10 a.m., 10.30 a.m. service is optional. Um, but please feel free to come out. And as we posted it, I happened to be looking at the church's Facebook feed. And comments just started popping up one after the other. And um, so I'll read you a few of them. And <laughs> they just started flooding in, and, and I knew something was up. But Marv Baum Bauman, Bauman, she wouldn't mind me saying that, uh, reading her statement. She said it publicly, so I can too. But she says, looks like a scam to me. <laughs> she says, why would I believe a word uttered by some millennial turd in a cheap suit? Like, Andre, that was my most expensive suit I had on for that video. <laughs> it was a nice one. I did, okay, so that one, they kind of like really, but I was, I was impressed with the fact she thought I was a millennial. Shows her judgment uh, or lack thereof. Then I, I saw Richard Delgado. He says, why in the actual uh, beep am I getting this evangelical peep in my feed? By the way, thanks for helping bleep up this country. I guess I did it. I don't know how. <laughs> Kathleen Black Henry, she says this. She says, you evangelical hypocrite. And then a bunch of people posted, like, pictures of demons, devils, the pitchfork. <laughs> Could you not? There was, out of everything that just came up, boom, 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 like that, there was one positive guy, and the positive guy was like, wow, what's up with all the hate? And then everybody started blasting him. <laughs> what's up with all the hate? But what I am trying to tell you is that, you know, the world really struggle to grasp the new cre creation, to wrap their mind around a new creature. Like, why do you even believe? Don't you see how hypocritical and bigoted you are? What makes you so narrow-minded? What happened to you? And uh, so I thought, you know, this is not political 
but this is just to show you how difficult it is for a person to understand the believing heart, for an unregenerate heart to understand the believing heart. Thank you, Han. Religion correspondent Lauren Green has details. Christianity was in the hot seat on Capitol Hill this week as Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders blasted nominee Russell Vogt over his writings concerning Islam. Do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Vote, the president's pick for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, sparred with the former Democratic presidential candidate over an online article he wrote defending the Christian school Wheaton College for firing a political science professor who said Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Sanders focused on this sentence. Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too? Senator, I'm a Christian. I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. Muslim groups and the ACLU have sided with Sanders, but critics have cited Article 6 of the Constitution, which says there should be no religious test to hold political office, and accusing Sanders of doing just that. Conservative and evangelical Christians like Baptist pastor Robert Jeffress are outraged. What Sanders said is a slap in the face, an insult to millions of evangelical Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. This is not some peripheral belief of Christians. It is the foundation of our faith. It will be a few weeks before the Senate decides on votes confirmation. Brett. Lauren, thank you. The unbelieving person cannot grasp, understand, fathom, or wrap their minds around the new creation. The new creation to them is offensive. The new creation to them uh, is unacceptable. And that, folks, ought to do two things within you. Are you ready? Most people get angry, but that's the wrong thing. Two things ought to happen. Number one, you need to realize that if you have a believing heart, just how merciful God has been to you, gracious and good. And those that don't deserve your prayers begging God to give to them what you know He's given to you. Logically speaking, of course, it's strange that Christians are disqualified for holding the doctrine that unbelievers stand condemned and that even the ACLU would side with the Muslims who believe the exact same thing, that the unbelieving infidel stands condemned, which is the one who believes that they stand condemned. Orthodox Jews are not excluded. <clears throat> However, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Bible says, for the word of the cross is foolishness. The word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. So this word, the good news of God, is foolish to the person 
who stands condemned. I'll read it to you again. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is why you will only find two kinds of people. One with a stony heart, an unbelieving heart. One with a heart of flesh, a believing heart. And they see the world differently. They respond to truth differently. So why does the world not understand your believing heart, your heart of faith? Because you were given a gift of faith that they know nothing about. You were gifted with something they're completely unfamiliar with. They don't know it. They've never experienced it. And pray God that they will. 2 Peter 1 verse 1 tells us that it is a gift that God gave you. Simon Peter says in verse 1, a servant and missionary of Jesus Christ, to all you who have our kind of faith. There it is. Who is Simon Peter speaking to? To all those of us who have the same kind of faith as he. Atheists believe they have a faith that there is no God. Agnostics have a faith that they believe there is a God, but it's just inconsequential. It doesn't matter. But Peter is saying to all those of you who have our kind of faith, the faith I speak of, and here it is, the kind that Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, gives to us. Who gives us this? God. He gives us what? Faith. It's a gift. Then it says how precious this is. How precious this faith, this gift of faith is. We oftentimes, we want to get in arguments Instead, we ought to realize, I, re I know that they don't, they don't get me. They can't see what I'm looking at. They haven't experienced what I've experienced. They have been gifted with what I've been gifted with. And I'm thankful. That ought to be my response. That's why the martyrs could get stoned like Stephen did, the first martyr ever. Outside of Jesus. Here he is getting stoned, glorifying God. He was so thankful for what he had instead of angry over what they're doing to him. And we too. We can be not isolated but insulated in this evil world where it doesn't touch us and cause us to become cynical and bitter if we realize, well, of course they don't get what you get. Of course they don't see what you see. It is impossible for a blind man to experience what you've experienced. And it's impossible for a person who's deaf to hear what you're hearing. It's impossible for a stony heart to love like you love. And to have faith in a truth when you hear it. To have faith in a truth when you hear it. It's a gift, Simon says, a gift from God. Philippians 1.29 says the same thing. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but also to suffer on His behalf. It has been granted to you, these two things, not only to believe, believing has been granted to you, but also to suffer on His behalf. That ability to suffer has also been given to you. In Acts 3.16 it says the same thing. Somebody got healed. 
And here's the report. Jesus' name has healed this man. Faith in Jesus' name, faith given us from God, has caused this perfect healing. Faith given to us from God has caused this perfect healing. Ephesians 2.8 says the same thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it says, and this faith is not of yourselves. It, this faith, is a gift from God. If you have a believing heart, it is because you have been gifted by God with a heart of flesh that can believe and that loves to trust and loves to love and obey and follow the truth you hear from God. So conclusion here is that you were given a gift of faith the world knows nothing about, the world cannot accept. So when somebody is a believer, the question is then, what is it that they believe? So we've answered the first question, how is it that one person can believe while the second person that they grew up with never do? Why is it that two brothers can grow up together in the same household, in the same family, in the same city, in the same school? One becomes a believer, the other one does not. Why do some people change, transform in their view and their understanding of truth, yet others don't? Well, the truth here is that those who transform have been given a brand new heart. They are brand new creatures. They are the new creation. And it's God who gives them that faith to believe with. The second question, when somebody is a believer, what is it that they believe? In this day and age, we have a lot of people proclaiming to be Christians. The question is, what do you believe? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean that you believe in Jesus? Well, I said I, said I do. No, but what, Other than you just reciting a statement, what is it that actually happens from this new believing heart that responds? What does it mean that this heart responds? What is this heart responding to about Jesus that causes this person to be a believing Christian? All right. 1 John 5 verse 1 tells us exactly what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Because the believer, well, let me read it to you. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone you know right now who believes in Jesus Christ has been born of God. The first takeaway is that has been born of God is the past tense. Because something happened in the past, I therefore now believe. He doesn't say, because you believe, you are therefore now born of God. That's not what it's saying. It says it the opposite. It says it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, anyone who has a heart that believes that Jesus is the Christ, has this heart to believe. Why? Because they were born of God. This is very key. Can you see 
that until God births you anew, you cannot believe. Let me say that again. Until you are born again, you cannot even see, let alone believe, the kingdom of God. It takes a brand new creation by God, a miracle for a believing creature to come alive and say, wow, I believe. So the person first gets born again, then they believe. God first gives them a new heart, a believing heart to go ahead and believe with. This is a gift. The believing ones now have faith because they were born again, born of God. This is important since many people turn that around. But that is not how it is. It's not because of your faith that God now births you. No, it's because God birthed you that you now have faith. This gift of God gives you, or this gift God gives you, is the gift of believing, the gift of a repenting heart, the gift of a humble heart, the gift of a loving heart, the gift of a heart that's willing to submit and follow the shepherd. This is now the heart that desires to submit and obey God's word. And this heart that loves God, believes in God, desires God, obeys God, fears God, that heart there was gifted by God with the gift of desire. That's why the Bible says, I will give you a new heart and I will give you the desires of your heart. And that's exactly what happened to you. You were born again, you were born of God and right after God birthed you as a new creature, giving you that heart you heard somebody open up the Bible and they started teaching, and what did you say? You went like, wow, that's so true, isn't it? Man, that's true. That's why somebody opens up the Bible now to a new creature and they start reading it, and they start teaching out of it, and that person goes like, well, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. Somebody opens up the Bible, the very Word of God, and, and they teach out of it, and you going in the back there, amen, amen, it's true. So... In your past life, you're like, bunch of fools. That's just a crutch. Man, I can't believe it. Look at that. Look, it's that church they go to. And then suddenly God gifts you with a new heart. You go like, yeah, that's true. I do believe that. What is that? It's a brand new heart. The new heart that you were given believes God's truth. The second point to consider out of that verse that we just read, 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's why they believe. The second point to consider in that same verse is the object of their faith. Okay, so they believe. Now they are a believing creature. But what do they believe? A set of doctrines? Or maybe the story of a historical Jesus who went missing for three days. His parents found him. What do they believe? This is very important to every one of us to know. The Bible says, everyone who believes what? That Jesus is what? The Christ. That Jesus is the Christ has been born. So, what does it mean 
that Jesus is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ means anointed one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the anointed one has been born of God. Well, the next obvious question is, well then, what does it mean to be the anointed one? <laughs> to find the answer to this question, we have to ask, who carried God's anointing in the Old Testament Scriptures? Because the Old Testament Scriptures foreshadow the real, right? And so, we see in the Old Testament that kings, priests, prophets, kings, priests, and prophets, those three offices, received their consecration to the office appointed them by God. How? Through an anointing. Usually they would pour oil over somebody, right? And they say, we now anoint you to be king, David. And that, that oil that runs over them is a sign of God's, God's um, imparting His power and His authority into that person to fulfill that office. So those are the three offices that need to be anointed in the Old Testament. And here the Bible says anyone who believes that Jesus is the anointed one now, the real one, those are the shadows, but He is the real one that's anointed by God. That person is born of God. We see in 1 Kings 19, 16, the Bible says, You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. So kings are anointed. Anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, as prophet in your place. So we see kings are anointed, we see prophets are anointed, and then we see God telling Moses to anoint Aaron and his sons. In Exodus 30, 30, it says, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may, be, they may serve as priests to me. So we have kings, prophets, and priests. All three of those offices need and require the anointing of God. So the person who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The person who believes that Jesus is the anointed one has been born of God. And the anointed one, therefore, therefore that person who believes that he is the Christ believes he is God's anointed prophet to them. God's anointed prophet to them personally. That is Christ, the great prophet anointed by God to reveal to me the way of salvation. Because that's what prophets did, right? Prophets always used to come and say, Thus saith the Lord, turn from your sins this way, <laughs> not that way, this way, to salvation. So here comes Jesus. He is now the great prophet in your life, revealing to you the way of salvation. He is the great anointed teacher. That he has the words of eternal life. We see that the apostles got this too. In John 6, 68, the Bible says, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. You are the anointed prophet. If you believe that Christ is God's anointed prophet sent to bring you the words of eternal life, that you are partially believing in Christ, the anointed. That's the first thing you believe, that He is the anointed teacher, prophet that God has sent into your life to reveal to you truth. Secondly, 
The person who believes in Jesus Christ believes he is God's anointed priest. What is a priest? A priest is ordained and stands in the office as the one who offers sacrifices. The sacrifices the priest offers makes atonement for the sins of the people that that priest represents. So he would come and he would bring a perfect sacrifice, as perfect as he could find. And if that sacrifice pleases God, then that sacrifice becomes the atonement for the sins of the people that this priest offers. This priest offers the sacrifice. If the sacrifice is acceptable to God, the sins of the people are atoned. The word atonement was created in order to explain at one moment, making one again, reconciling again. So here are the people of Israel, their sins separated from a perfectly holy God. The priest comes, he brings a sacrifice. The sacrifice is accepted by the holy God. And now the sins of all the people that this priest represents is now being atoned for by the sacrifice. And they can now be at one moment again. Their sins are covered by the sacrifice. But here, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the anointed, not only is he the anointed prophet that brings us the word, but he is the anointed priest, the one who will stand before God, giving himself as the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. And if you believe that his sacrifice is sufficient to atone for your sins, you are now partially believing in Jesus the Christ. Because you're already now believing that He is the anointed prophet, the one with the words of eternal life, but He's also the one who is the perfect sacrifice, sufficient to atone for your sins. Then, Number three, the person who believes in Jesus Christ, the one who now, now the third part comes. And if you, if you participate also in the third part, you completely believe in Jesus Christ. The third is that the person who believes in Jesus Christ believes he is God's anointed king. What does a king do? A king rules. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. He rules. Do I now see Jesus Christ as my king? Ruling over my life? Do I see that? Is my heart allowing me to want that? To desire that he rules? Am I eager to be a part of his kingdom? You see, a kingdom is simply a king who rules over a certain domain, a certain territory. Am I part of that territory that is being ruled by this king called Jesus? That's actually, by the way, the reason we call our church Christ Christ nation. <laughs> it's, a, it's another way of defining God's kingdom. So you ask yourself, am I eager to be a part of God's kingdom? Do I submit myself to His government? Do I hate what He hates and love what He loves? If you can wholeheartedly and sincerely say, I accept Jesus Christ as God's anointed prophet, anointed priest, an anointed king, this means that I trust him to be God's truth to me because that's what prophets bring. God's sacrifice for me because that's what priests do. And God's lordship over me because that's who Jesus is. If this is true for you from the bottom of your heart, then you have the kind of faith God's elect have 
when they receive a brand new heart of flesh from God. That is what the brand new heart believes. Believes in God's truth for me in Christ, God's priest for me in Christ, and God's lordship over me in Christ. When you say, I believe in Jesus the Christ, that's what you're saying. Did that clarify that to you? <laughs> I believe in Jesus Christ, the anointed one. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, has been born of God. It's impossible to believe that unless you are born of God. If you're praying for loved ones, pray that they be born of God, born from above, John 3, 3. Born again. Let's pray. Father.